Welcome to the In God She Trust podcast. I am your host, Kitri Cooper. Happy New Year, guys. Woohoo. We made it to 2023. <laughs> and you know what's funny? Pretty much ever since like 2019, I've been saying, whew, what a year. But still, once again, 2022 was quite the year. A, a lot happened. I mean, just in one year, my life has um, been pushed in a completely different direction than I ever thought possible. In uh, On December 2nd of 2021, that was when I started the In God She Trusts page on Facebook. And it originally started just as a page for women to share like prayer requests versus uplifting stuff, right? And then as it went along, I felt that God was pushing it to do more because at, at first he was just pushing me to just start the page. And then as it got really big, um, he kept pushing me to do more with it. And now on the page, we're uh, 1.2,000 strong. Woo, woo. Um, Instagram, we're, I think at like maybe a hundred followers. So those are rookie numbers. We got to bump those numbers up. I can't just believe I quoted the Wolf of Wall Street on my podcast. Don't judge me for watching that movie anyways. But, um, yeah. And the, the podcast is doing great. And I just really appreciate you guys listening in. I just feel like God is using this podcast in order to reach people. And so if you're listening to this, it's not a coincidence. Yeah, you might have clicked play or you might have searched for it, but it's not a coincidence. You know, the Holy Spirit is really trying to speak to people and he's trying to reach people. And I believe that he is using this podcast uh, to do that. And that's really honoring and it is humbling and it is something that I do not take lightly. When I first started on this journey, I feel like saying journey is always so cliche. Like, I'm on a journey. <laughs> or uh, do you guys remember in The Hobbit, like Bilbo, and he's got his map. He's like, I'm going on an adventure. Maybe that's what I should call it. I should call it an adventure, not a journey. Okay, so when I started on this adventure, um, like Bilbo Baggins, I am very, very small. <laughs> I am a hobbit. I am only five feet tall. I don't know why I'm giving you guys these useless pieces of information, but hey, might as well, right? Anyways, so when I first started this adventure, um, somebody who is very near and dear to my heart um, told me something. He's like, you know, if God's calling you to ministry, I want you to go look up James 3.1. So I did. I'm thinking it's going to be like a cutesy verse. Like, oh, full of love and light. <laughs> so cute. This is what it says. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. I was like, oh, that, 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 that's great. And he's like, so... If you're going to do this, you need to know that 
you're going to have a stricter judgment if you lead people astray. And when he told me that, that really just kind of put it into perspective for me that this is not just a hobby. This is not just something for fun that I do. This is a call on my life from God and I need to treat it with the utmost dignity and respect. And as I say dignity, and I'm just realizing I quoted like the Hobbit on it. God has a sense of humor, right? But I don't take it lightly. And so um, I hope that it, when I put something out there that it is well-received. Just know that I pray about this stuff a lot before I start um, doing notes. I really want to hear from the Holy Spirit, and I'm just doing my best. The most and the, like education I've ever had is two years of college. I did not finish college. I do not have you know, a college degree, and that's been like a big insecurity for me. But the Holy Spirit told me, you don't need um, a college degree when you have the Holy Spirit University. I was like, all right, sweet. So I'm just kind of following his lead. And I don't have, like, I've never gone to seminary. I've never gone to Bible school. I'm just going based of what I have learned so far and my walk with the Holy Spirit. And like I said, a couple, you know, a few episodes back, I reserved the right to be like, hey, do you remember what I said on episode 23 at this minute? Yeah, I I realized I was wrong about that because we're all growing and we're all maturing. And I I love that you're listening to my podcast, um, but please remember that I am human and I'm still growing with you. And this is just kind of a safe space for us to throw stuff out there. And if you ever want to reach out or talk about anything, you can reach me on the Facebook page or the Instagram page or TikTok or the Gmail or whatnot. But let's get into the meat of today. So I prayed to the Holy Spirit to give the In God She Trusts platform or the In God She Trusts Ministries a word of the year. Last year, our word was salty. And this year, I I was, once again, on a walk with my dogs. I'm pretty sure that's when the Holy Spirit speaks to me the most is when I'm walking my dogs. But I was like, Holy Spirit, I need a word. Like I had been praying on it a couple days and I just hadn't heard anything. And so I was just like, okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I was like, okay, like Lord, obedience is something that's like really, really that I'm really passionate about. Like, I just want people to, to see that when they obey your word and they do what you say, that there's freedom in that. And like, I just want people to just obey you. And that still small voice came in and he said, Kitri, how can they obey me if they do not love me? And I was like, well, they can't. And he's like, you didn't. And I was like, yeah, that's true. He's like, you had to grow to love me first before you could even think of obeying me. And so our word of the year, drum roll, please. I wish I had a drum roll on my thingy. Oh, I have a suspense thing. So our word of the year is, oh, that sucked. The word of the year is, I don't know if that was appropriate or not, but whatever. Our word of the year is closeness. And the word of the year always comes with a, um, with a Bible verse. 
because we have to be rooted in scripture. And so our verse of the year is James 4, 8. And it says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the the first half of that verse is so beautiful. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I would have loved to have left it just at that, but he's like, no, 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 leave the second part in there. And so another translation, I believe it's the message translation. Let me look it up really fast. Um, says, say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit rock bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. So I was like, okay, cool. I like looking up different translations of things. And then the passion version says this. Move your heart closer and closer to God and he will come even closer to you. I really love that. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. I really like how it said stop doubting. And a lot of times there's doubt connected with faith. Like, well, I have faith, but it might not happen. And if you're like me, you doubt. And I'm just being hot, humble, open, and transparent. I I still have to fight that spirit of doubt. And it's gotten better as I've been walking with the Lord closer and closer, but sometimes there's still part of me that wants to control and take over and do my own thing because I'm afraid uh, sometimes that I'm going to be let down by God. And I know in my head that's true, but I still sometimes have to convince my heart that it's true. But I told my testimony a few weeks ago on that podcast, and the thing that really started my massive transformation in God was when I went to therapy, and my therapist told me, you need to read your Bible first thing in the morning every day. Start with 15 minutes at least. He had me journal, and and then he had me you know, do my Bible my quiet time with the Lord. And he's like, I want you to start your day off with it. And I, I don't journal anymore. I should actually really get back into it because it was really good to help kind of clear my mind because sometimes, um, or not sometimes, psychology says that our body heals when we actually put into words what we're feeling inside. And so when I journaled, I would have to be like, okay, what am I feeling of the day? And I'd write the word down. And then I'd write down what I think is true. And then the third thing is like, what is actually true about what I'm feeling and then what is, what, how can I apply practical steps? It was really good thing for me to do. But then he's like, you need to make sure you're in the word of God every single day. And there's a quote, I believe, I believe by A.W. Tozier. Is that how you say his name? Tozier? That it says a lot of people are begging for a miraculous word from God and it sits on the shelf collecting dust. And it's talking about the Bible. And it's so true. A lot of times we're like, God, I can't hear you. God, what are you saying to me? But we haven't read our Bible in forever. And so when I started diving into the word of God every single day, I started understanding the character of God and I started realizing who he was. And then 
he started showing me who I was in him. And that is really where that intimacy, that closeness draws. So James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The word for coming near in Hebrew is kerovim. I'm not exactly sure if I'm pronouncing these right, but I'm going to try. The root word is karav, and that is used to express the heart being in the midst, not necessarily um, distance between bodies, but closeness of the heart, right? Being close of heart. Draw near in Greek is agizo, I think, agizo, which literally means to draw close to with the intention of joining together. So physically joining together. And then in Aramaic, the word for draw near is carve. It's Q-A-R-V. Carve. I don't car. I don't know. <laughs> so carve, I'm, I'm assuming, which is draw close enough to make contact. I think it's really important that we go to the original wording or the original Hebrew or even different words in Greek and Aramaic um, and Hebrew, which I be, uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic and a lot of the Bible is written in Hebrew and Greek. And so those root words or those words that are in the Greek or in the Hebrew are very important because, um, you know, back then they didn't have as many words and verbiage as we do now in English. And so sometimes it gets muddled or lost in translation, not necessarily lost, but the, the, it doesn't pack a a punch as the original, um, language would. So, you know, kerovim in, in Hebrew means to draw close being with the heart being in the mixed Greek agizo, which means to draw close with the intention of joining together. And then in Aramaic it's karv, which is drawing close enough to make contact. And so with this, um, if you guys are sitting down and you are able to open your Bible with me, please do so. If you're in your car or at work or whatnot, just listen. That's fine. I'm totally going to read it. But we're going to turn to Luke 15, verse 11, and we're going to be reading the parable of the lost son. All right, so starting in verse 11. And I always read out of the Christian Standard Version or Christian Standard Bible. So if you have a different version or if you're on your version app, you can just scroll and find this version or whatnot. But it says, he also said, a man with two sons, the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. So in Jewish culture, the father would always leave an inheritance for his sons. And the inheritance was always or usually given out after the father passed away because he built it over the course of his lifetime. But this son here, he wanted it right away. He didn't want to wait for the wealth to continue to be built. He just wanted his inheritance right away at that time. So just a little bit of context. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work 
for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Also another piece of context. Um, pigs are considered unclean to Jews. That was one of the um, laws in the Old Testament where they were not allowed to eat pork. It was considered unclean. And so the fact that this man was so poor and he had squandered everything that he had to work with pigs, this was really, really big for the audience that Jesus was speaking to here. So it's like he's a Jew and he's deliberately going against law as well because he is working with something that is considered unclean um, as far as the law goes. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came near the house. He heard the music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who devoured your estates with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I wanted to read the the full version of that story. I I could have stopped, you know, after it said, you know, after you know the feast started, and I could have left out the 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 other brother. But I felt like it was also really important because a lot of times we focus on. Um, you know, the party that God throws for sinners. And we're like, oh, how could you do this? Like he did this and this and this, and I've always obeyed you. And I've, you know, I've never, whatever. And, and that's kind of where we kind of get into that legalism where like, I've never disobeyed you. I've always done your things. And we forget to look at where people have come from. And sometimes I feel like the church, the big C church, um, has a problem with it because, you know, it's, yes, it's important to obey God, but what God wants first is the heart. The obedience comes second. And so the son had squandered away his inheritance. He, it said he, you know, he, he was living foolish. And I, I mean, I don't think it probably took him that long to 
squander away his inheritance. And I'm, I'm guessing because, you know, his father had many servants and had, you know, nice robes. I'm guessing he came from a very wealthy father, a very wealthy home. And instead of just waiting and having his inheritance be built and then getting it when his father died, he decided to just, oh, just give it to me now. I want what's mine now. So that greed kind of took over. And then he just decided to, to go buck wild, you know. And so then after he squandered it all, he is working with pigs, like I, like I said. And he was even wanting what the pigs were eating. And y'all know that pigs eat everything they can literally eat anything and everything and it's gross and you can just throw it all together that's why it's called slop right because it's nasty (laughs) so he was jealous of what the pigs were eating like this is how low this man had fallen he was working in the fields he was working with pigs he was living with pigs he went from a very very high place to a very very low place then he realizes oh my gosh what am i doing like my servants have more abundance than, you know, than I have right now. You know, they have, they have food, they have shelter, they have clothing, they're taken care of. I need to go back to my father. And he realizes though, that he had done wrong. He said, I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer to be called worthy of your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. He was just begging to be a servant at this point. He knew he messed up. He knew he wasn't worthy to be his son anymore. He had squandered away his inheritance. So he's like, can I just, I'll just ask him if I can just be a servant, if I can just be a hired worker. And then he's, he's coming home. The son was coming home in repentance, but the father met him on his journey on the road. Down in verse, where is it? 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. His son was a long way off from the estate. So his father was looking for him to come back. That's, that's what I feel in my spirit. The father was like, Oh, where's that son of mine? I just want him to come back home. And then he saw him and he saw that he was coming back to him. And so the father ran to him. The father did not make the son walk all the way back to the house, go inside, find his father, and beg for forgiveness, beg to be a hired servant. You know, he he didn't yell, scream, or condemn. He didn't make him clean the house or do chores to earn his way back. He didn't uh, give him the cold shoulder or turn away. He ran to him, hugged and kissed him. And this is where my mind goes. This man was living with pigs. Pigs smell 
so bad. I used to work in the summers um, in college. I used to work for the fair here, and I hated going out to the pig barns because they reeked. Oh, my gosh, they smelled so bad. And they're just dirty. Like, yeah, they're kind of cute with their little pink nose, but that's about it. Like, they're super dirty. They smell awful. And this this dude was living with the pigs. He was jealous of what the pigs were eating. And so this father ran up, hugged, and kissed him. This son probably smelled dirty. He hadn't eaten. He probably had wounds and scrapes and bleeding from, from the travels. He probably was absolutely just dirty, disgusting, smelling horrible, but the father didn't care about, about his dirt. He didn't care about his smell. He didn't care about his wounds. He didn't care about how he looked. He just loved his son so much. He didn't mind any of that. And he hugged and kissed him anyways. And that is exactly how we can come to God. We can come to him with the stench of sin still all over us. We can come back to him with with the filth of sin still all over us. We don't have to earn our right back home. We never have. We don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to earn his forgiveness. We can't work our way up. A lot of people say, oh, well, I just need to get my life in order. Um, I just, I just need to be a better person before I go to church, or I just need, need to be a better person for God. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm a fitness trainer and I've had a lot of people tell me the same thing. Oh, I just need to, I just need to lose weight before I go to the gym. I just need to eat healthier and, you know, go down a few pant sizes before I go to the gym. But I'm like, that's the place you go to. The gym is the place you go to in order to get healthy. The gym is the place that you go to in order to get strong. Same thing with God. God is the place that you go to to get healthy. God is the place you go to to get strong. You know, church, I know a lot of people like, oh, I I don't need to go to church. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We need church. We need that community. And that's not just me spouting it out. That's in the scriptures. The Bible is very clear that we are to plug ourselves in to a local church. Make sure it's Bible-based, of course, but we are supposed to be rooted in community. Because... If we don't, it's easier for us to fall away because that community is a really big aspect of accountability. And I know accountability is something that's really, really hard for people because we don't like being held accountable. We want to be able to do whatever we want, say whatever we want, you know, live our life. But we need to be held accountable, especially if we're going to be calling ourselves Christians. We're, like I've said a billion times, it feels like already, we're supposed to live different and act different. And so if we're not built in a community of like-minded believers and people who, who, who walk the walk, talk the talk, do everything and make sure that their heart is in love with God, it's a lot easier for us to just slip back into the world. 
you know, and Galatians 6, 2 says, carry each other's burden. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're supposed to help each other with our crap. We're not supposed to condemn each other for our, for our sins or for whatever, because we're still human. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. We need to start recognizing that we will not ever be perfect until we go to glory and, and we are made full in who we are supposed to be. We need people. You need church. I'm just saying. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to think of another verse um, where it talks about that we need other people. Oh, this is a good one. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Um, this is where Catholics get where you have to go to a priest and confess your sins. It's not meaning you need to go confess to a priest in order to seek forgiveness. It's, it's like if I were to go up to my pastor or if I were to text, you know, my mentor, Sonia, be like, hey, this week I'm really struggling with lust. This week, I'm really struggling with depression. This week, I really just wanted to pop off at this one lady at Starbucks after she was screaming at me or, you know, whatever. And it's like, this is what I'm struggling with. Because if we constantly keep it bottled up, number one, you're going you're gonna to fail. If you don't tell people what you're going through, if you don't tell people how you're feeling, you're going to succumb to that. I think I mentioned earlier in this episode and I, and I first heard this on the basement by Tim Ross and it was so powerful. They were talking about how it is legit. And, um, I can't believe I just said legit. That was so (laughs) nineties, but that psychology has shown and studies have shown that we, our bodies cannot heal without words. And so that's what this is talking about. And that's what, why it says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The healing comes after you start talking about it. Because if you keep it bottled up, if you knew how to fix it, you would. So, so reach out to somebody, get a mentor, get a, get a friend who will actually hold you accountable, not just be like, oh yeah, you can do whatever you want and they still love you. I want the type of friends that be like, why are you being an idiot? Why are you being, why, why is this what you're doing? This behavior is not okay. This behavior is not you. And this behavior is, is not how, how we are supposed to be in Christ. Or if I'm struggling with depression, it's like, Hey, how can I help you? I see you're struggling with this. This is what God says about you. Let's see how we can fix this together. Let's pray about it so we can, so we can be healed. That's why we need church and we need like-minded people. So make sure you get in that. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. We, we sharpen each other and we build each other up when we're in community. Find other people who are like iron to sharpen your iron. Don't find somebody that's like iron on cement. Because if you just take that super sharp axe and you keep beating it against the cement, that axe is eventually going to become dulled and useless. 
because one cannot sharpen the other. One eventually is going to wound the other. And the ax will, you know, take chips out of the cement. So make sure that you're surrounding yourself with those people and with community who love God, who know God, who seek God. And really use the Holy Spirit as your guide to be like, Lord, which church do you want me to be plugged into? How do you want me to serve? Do I serve in the parking lot? Do I serve on the greeting committee? Do I serve by opening doors? Do I serve on the worship team? Do I serve? We are called to be like servants because Christ said that he did not come to be served, but to serve. We see that when he was washing his disciples' feet. The Lord of all creation the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings bent down and wiped and washed the disciples' feet, the people that served him. So that is why we also need to serve. So anyways, I'm going to get off my my soapbox there, but make sure you get plugged in. Um, but sometimes in church, we, we don't like that, oh, people still s- smell of sin, but they've come home, right? A lot of times it's easier for the stench to be gone and then it's like, okay, now you're welcome in. But Jesus is for the sick, not the healthy. So God is not a dictator who punishes us harshly. He gives his love out freely. We can't obey God if we do not love God. And how do you love someone? How do you fall in love with someone? Because I didn't automatically love God. I didn't. I had to fall in love with him. And then I kind of look back at like any family relationships, friendships, romantic relationships. You fall in love with someone by being close to them. You get to know them, their character, how they how they talk, how they walk, their their humor, their mannerisms, these little things. You can't fall in love with someone if you're not close to them. When we're babies, I would say probably until we're like two years old, but especially when we're newborns and we're, you know, newborns are nursing or whatever. When we were first born, all our parents did was just love us. Every time we cried, they came to us. You know, they gave us a bottle, changed the changed the diaper, soothed us, shushed us, you know, held us close, hugged us, kissed us. That's what our parents did. You know, or at least that's what your parents were supposed to do. But every time we cried or when we were learning to, to crawl and we, when we bumped our head and we started crying, they came over to us, they grabbed us in their arms and they, they comforted us and they loved us and they played with us and made us laugh and they were encouraging us on how to walk and all of that stuff. And then, you know, we hit two years old and then now that we're starting to see, oh, I can't throw my food on the floor. I'm going to get in trouble. But that love is still there. And the older we got, the love was still there, but we, we were given more and more responsibility. When, when we're toddlers, we go from, from, from nursing, from milk to, to baby food, to solid food, to eating on our own, you know? And so that is exactly what we're supposed to do with God. He wants to just 
especially when we're brand new with him, he lo- wants to love on us. Whenever we're hurt, he wants to come and, and grab us in his arms and make sure that we're comforted. And he wants to help us walk and he'll let us, you know, hold his finger as we walk through life. And he's always there. And, you know, yes, he'll, as we get older, he'll give us more and more responsibility but when we're with our parents, they don't automatically, when they're newborns, just start demanding things from us because we couldn't handle it as newborns. We couldn't handle it as infants or even as toddlers. As we got older and we understood that, that our parents' love was there and that was something that was not going to be thrown out, that no matter what, like my mom is still going to love me yeah, I might stumble and fall, but she's still going to help pick me up. Or my dad would, would still teach me these, these ways. You fell in love with your parents first before you ever obeyed them. And that's what we have to do with God. Our earthly parents are supposed to reflect, you know, our father in heaven. And I know that's not the case for some people. And if you grew up with parents who didn't do that, please do not view God the way your parents raised you. Because he shows us what that fatherly love is in its purest and truest form. And so let God reparent you. And I know that probably sounds weird to let God reparent you, but not everyone grew up in a loving and comforting household. There are some kids who grow up with more trauma in the first five years of their life than most adults will ever know in their lifetime. But our earthly parents are just as broken as you. They're just as broken as me. Just because we we make mistakes in different ways doesn't make us any less or more broken than the other. And I'm not trying to excuse trauma or neglect. All I'm trying to say is, is that God will parent you correctly if you let him, if you draw near to him. The son in the story of the prodigal son had to identify what he did, realize he was wrong, and then repent. Repenting is not just saying, oh, Lord, forgive me, I'm sorry. True repentance actually means turning away, doing a 180, completely turning away from what you were doing, turning your back to it, and going a completely opposite direction. A lot of people think repentance is just saying, I'm sorry. Like, oh, I'll do this, and then I'll just repent later. No, repent means you're going to completely knock off that behavior and do something different and better the next time. So that's what repentance means at its core. So the son had to understand that. And so when he was coming home, he had turned his back on that lifestyle. So he had fully repented and he was coming back to his father. 
And as soon as the father saw him, like I said, it, like the Bible says, he was far off. As soon as the father saw him, he ran to him. He didn't just walk. He ran. The son was probably walking, but the father ran to him. The father said, oh, he's coming close to me. I am going to come even closer yet still to him. And that is so beautiful because that is exactly what our father in heaven does. We might even just take two steps away from our sinful life and he will run 10 miles to meet us. You might have gone to the club last night, got blacked out drunk, who knows, went home with somebody. And then the next day you're like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm leaving this lifestyle. And you take a couple steps towards God and he will run close to you. Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says, are you weary carrying a heavy burden? Come to me. I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways and you will discover that I am gentle, humble, easy to please, and you will find refreshment and rest in me. That was the passion translation. Another way that we have probably heard this is come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. But in the Passion Translation, I loved it when it says, simply join your life with mine. That goes back to um, the word in Aramaic, where it means to literally make contact, or once again, in Greek, agizo, which, which means draw close enough with the intention of joining together. He's saying, join your life with mine. Come, come so close to me that we can literally hold hands and join together. Join your life with God. Hold hands. The father came so close to the son that he hugged and kissed him. So there was physical contact, physical contact. And so that is what this entire year is. And it, that's my entire goal for, for the In God She Trust Ministries is drawing near to the Father. John 1.14 said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came down from his throne to be close and to draw near to us. Another word, not word, another name that we have given Jesus is Emmanuel, which literally translates God with us. God Jesus, he is the only God that is in this universe. Well, number one, he's the only God, but a lot of other religions, um, their God, they have to go to them. 
they have to work for their God. They, they go to a statue that's probably made out of bronze or whatever. They have to go to their God and every other religion, but our God, the God, the one true God loved us enough to get off of his throne in heaven where he rightfully deserves to sit all the time. And he came to us, dwelt among us, lived among us, wanted to be close to us, learned what we go through as sinners. He bore those sins and burdens and weights and things that separated us from the Father. He bore them on his own shoulders so that we would no longer be separated from God, that we could draw near to him. The veil was torn. It is finished. Christ put all of your blame, your shame, your, your stench, your dirt. He put it on him so he could just have the chance of you turning away from that foolish lifestyle, turning back to him so he could run to you, hug you and kiss you. That is the God that we serve. That is my God that I serve. I serve no other God. This earth has no other God. This whole universe has no other God that would even dare to do what Jesus did for a chance that they would turn to him. Jesus did not die knowing, oh, everyone, you know, when I die, everyone's going to come to me. He died saying, I will put my life down just in case they decide to draw near to me. Just in case they decide. He laid down his life for a chance that you would turn to him because he gives you a choice. Genesis through Malachi the entire Old Testament. There were laws put in place after we sinned that we had to go to God because he was so holy and because that sin separated us so much. Like the high priest could go before God, but he could only go to God before God once a year. And there were there were so many things he had to do just in order to go behind the veil but God did not want it to be like that forever. So he became a man and came to us. He doesn't want your, your, your specific prayers or he doesn't want your, oh, well, I did this today, so I think I'm good. Or I, I cussed less today, so I think I'm fine. He doesn't want your works. He doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your heart. Because the heart is where the root of the person is. The heart is what he's after. And I know a lot of people have said that, and it might sound like it's corny or cliche, but there's a lot of people out there who also think that Oh, if you have tattoos, you can't go to God. 
Nope. If you've ever had sex before marriage, you can't go to God. Oh, if you're homosexual, you can't go to God. Oh, if you've done this, you can't go to God. And that's the, that is the farthest thing from the truth. Please find me one scripture that says, if you've done any of these things, Jesus's blood can't cover that sin. So sorry, even if you want to be near to God or you want to love God, sorry, you, you can't. Please, please point to the verse. And that is what angers me about quote-unquote Christians who are like that, who are so legalistic and, and just rooted in, oh, you have to be perfect. You can't do this. You can't do that. You have to say this. You have to say that. <laughs> because it's not rooted in truth. It's, it's rooted in fear. That's not serving the God of gods. That's serving a God you made up in your own mind. If you have to fear what you do on a daily basis will tear you away from God and make him mad and shun you, you're not serving Yahweh. You are not serving the great I am. You are, you are serving some version you made up. But that is not the God that I serve because salvation and grace is extended to all those who repent and choose Jesus. God wants our heart. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature because... I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For the human sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. He doesn't care if you don't look impressive. Humans look to outward appearances or outward things, but God digs through all of the crap and sees who we really are our, in our heart. Because like I said, the heart is the root of the person. Hebrews 11.6 says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Seek means just look for him, not just acknowledge him, to actually look for him. If you've ever lost something of high value, and you go and you, you look for it. You tear everything apart in order to find it. You don't just be like, oh, well, it's lost. We need to do that with God. Seek him. Don't just acknowledge him. Actually seek him. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. He will reward you if you seek him, if you go after him. He will reward that because I believe when you actually seek something, like I said, if you're, if you're searching through your house for something of great value, you, you hold that in high esteem or you love that item or you, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? So if you're actually seeking for something, it means that it means something to you. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, but from there, you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. 
when you look for him, you will find him. It doesn't say you might find him. It says you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. He gives you free will. He does not force himself on us. He reveals himself to us when we seek him. If you are in a place right now, you're like, God, I don't know, but I just need you to show me you. I need you to give me a sign. I need you to prove to me that you are real. I need to see something and you actually seek after him. He will not disappoint you, but keep seeking him. Keep seeking him. In the story of the prodigal son, the father did not force the son to come back home. The son chose to come back home. And it is when the son chose to come back home and repented and turned away from his life and he came looking for his father is when he found his father. And not only did he find his father, he saw that his father was running towards him, grabbed around his neck and kissed him. But God will know if we're faking it. Because like I said, he sees the heart. Hebrews, excuse me. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So if, if we're faking it, he knows it. If it's not real, if it's not authentic, he knows it. It needs to come from a place of real, authentic vulnerability. He knows our true intentions. So if we're like, oh, I'll just kind of sort of get close to him so I can feel a little bit better about what I did last night or whatnot or, you know... He knows the difference. Like, don't get it twisted. God knows your deepest, darkest secret that you swore you would never tell anyone else. He knows it. But when you give it to him and when you reveal it to him and you allow him to, he will heal it. He will heal those deepest, darkest parts of you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I have, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In 2023, we are drawing near to God. Our life is not our own if we are in Christ. Our life is his So what does it look like? What are some practical things that you can do starting right now? I mean, I know it's like January 4th and, you know, we're four days into the new year and like, oh, it wasn't one of my new year's resolutions. You can start at any time. So what are some practical ways that we can draw near to God? Like I said earlier, read your Bible daily, even if it's just for 15 minutes. Don't just look at the verse of the day on your version app and call it good. Actually sit down and crack it open. I love having a physical Bible. I don't necessarily like um, 
reading and getting my daily quiet time off of my phone because I see the notifications come in. I see text messages and emails and it's just very, very distracting. I like the actual book because number one, I write in mine, I highlight mine and it, this way I can put my phone down and I can actually focus on the Holy Spirit's voice when he speaks to me. Podcasts and sermons are really good um, to listen to, but they should not be your only source of God's word. Like, I love that y'all are listening to my podcast, but if this is the only time that you get scripture, you got to change that. Because like I said, I am human. I am still learning and growing. And I reserve the right to be like, hey, I was actually wrong about that. You should not be getting your Jesus from humans. You should be getting you should be getting Jesus from his word because that is where he speaks to you. It's literally called the word of God. So make sure that you are getting the word of God from God himself and not just sermons and podcasts. Those are great things to implement into your daily routine. But first and foremost, read your Bible. That is where he speaks to you the most. The second thing you can do is pray daily. No communication equals no relationship. You don't grow your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend by never talking to them. You don't grow your friendships by never talking to your friends. You grow those relationships by being in consistent and constant communication. The same goes with God. We don't pray to God when we need something and only when we need something. We don't pray to God when all things are good and when, when things get bad, oh, tough. He wants us to talk to him all the time. Pray daily. Get that communication to God rolling. The third thing is look for ways that he shows up for you daily. And it's not going to be this big, huge thing. I mean, it might be, but most of the time it's in the little things. It's in the small things. I mean, yes, he is a God of miracles. He can do literally anything he wants, but look for ways that he shows up for you daily. When I was first falling in love with Jesus um, and I started looking for little ways, I know this probably sounds really silly, but there was this one day I was really late for work and You know, on those days where you're really late for work, you hit traffic, you hit every red light possible. You might be behind a car crash or whatever. But on this day, I was really running behind and I should have hit every single red light. And I was just like, Lord, just help me get to work on time. You know, because my, my, my dog had actually ran out of the fence. And so it wasn't like anything I did. My dog ran out and I had to go get him before I could leave for work. And literally every single green light, came on and I just, I was able to get to work on time. I know that sounds silly, but I literally prayed. I was like, Lord, please help me get to work. And then every single green light came for me. And so those are little ways. And when you start recognizing him in the little ways, you're going to start recognizing him in the big ways too. And then the fourth thing that you can do to draw close to God is to serve others. We see God's heart for us through the selfless act of serving others because Christ was a servant. 
like I mentioned, he was washing his disciples' feet. But the biggest way he was a servant was he came down off of his throne, became a man, and spread the will of the Father and spread the good news. That is an act of a servant. Yes, he is our king, but he would not be the king of kings and lord of lords if he did not serve the people that he reigns over. So serve others because, number one, you're doing good for others. You're giving of yourself to others. But then when you do, like, yes, it feels good and it warms your heart because there is something special about being selfless and doing something to better the day or better the life of somebody else, not just ourself. We are not called to live for ourselves. We are called to serve others as Christ served us. So those, I would say, are my first four things that I would do just to start drawing close to God. Read your Bible every day, pray daily, look for ways that he shows up for you, and serve others. We are drawing close to God this year, and he will draw even closer to us. I love you guys very much. Thank you for joining me, and I will talk to you next time. See you later.